Welcome back in, guys. It's the hockey show. We're going to the man advantage, and we're heading to the phones. Colorado's biggest and best live hockey radio show right here with JJ and Ryan. We're bringing on Jesse Granger of The Athletic. Jesse, thanks for joining us again. Second time you've been on the show. Uh, a little bit different circumstances here, but I like to start with simply saying, I saw your hit yesterday on NHL Network Television, and you were looking sharp, my man. How you doing? Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm good. I'm good. And not only were you looking sharp, but you had your Wi-Fi on point. Your sound was good, which is kind of a rarity when you see those interviews. So good on you for that. I know that's out of your control, but it, it was good stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I spent the better part of the uh, early pandemic days when we were all locked in our houses trying to perfect that setup. So I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Um, let's get into the series. Obviously, uh, Avalanche still in control, still in the lead. However, not sure how much of a pulse you have on Avalanche fans, but the sky is falling here in Colorado. We see the last five periods. It really seems like a switch has been turned and Vegas is starting to take over. What's the sentiment around Las Vegas? Is there now a newfound hope for this series? Yeah, I mean, to me, that's the greatest part about the Stanley Cup playoffs is how quickly the narrative can shift in one game, one goal. It's, it's great. Um, I remember just in the first round, the Golden Knights had gone up to Minnesota, a place they'd never won before, and they smoked the Wild off the ice two games in a row to take a 3-1 lead. They're coming back to Vegas with a chance to close it out. Everything seemed gravy, and it seemed like the series is over. And then the Wild win one game, and suddenly the sky's falling, and they were forced to a Game 7. And now we're seeing kind of the opposite in this series. After two games, the sky was absolutely falling here in Vegas. Uh, the season's over, fire, all the management, everything is done. And one game later, um, everyone's future is bright. They think that this team has a chance to come back. Uh, as you mentioned, Avs fans, this team ha was unstoppable for seven playoff games. They lose one game by one goal, and it took a spectacular 45 seconds uh, late in the game to do it. Um, I think the overreactions are warranted. That's what makes hockey so great. But, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of optimism in Vegas, uh, a lot more than there was yesterday. Jesse, it's not just that the, the Avs lost by one goal, but it's five periods of almost total domination from Vegas. What are you seeing that we're not seeing as someone who's seen every game this year from the Golden Knights? Like how, how does that switch get flipped in the second period of game two, and how do we end up where we are now? Yeah, I think, to be honest, I, like, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't expect the Golden Knights to dominate possession the way they have over these last five periods, but I think these last two games have looked a lot more like what we expected. They look a lot more like what we saw in the regular season when these teams played each other eight times, and that is really close back-and-forth hockey. And I think the Golden Knights are doing a much better job after game one of tightening the gaps. I think in game one, they were, they were obviously, they, they mentioned they were a little tired from that first series, and I think they were a little timid, and, and not, I don't want to use the word afraid, but something like that, of the, of the avalanche speed, and especially that top line, and they really backed off, and what that ended up doing was it gave them so much time and space to think, and if you give guys like McKinnon and Rantanen all the time to think, they're going to make plays that are unstoppable for the goalie, and that's what they did in that first game. And then I think after that, they said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to tighten the gaps, we're we're going to play really close in the neutral zone. We're going to try to get in their way. We're going to use our physicality to bump them and not let them enter the zone with speed. And that's given Colorado problems. Um, I expect them to make adjustments. The players are too good not to. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see once Colorado adjusts to this tight checking game that the Golden Knights are playing in the neutral zone, um, what game four looks like. 
Speaking of adjustments in a tight checking game, maybe the 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 pivotal decision for Coach Peter DeBoer is coming uh, for Game Four, and that is, do you put Ryan Reeves back in this lineup? Yeah, it certainly is a big decision. Um, if it were me, I would not put Ryan Reeves back in the lineup. Um, Pete DeBoer really values Ryan Reeves and that enforcer role that he brings. So I'm not sure what he's going to do. But if you look at the game, I mean. I thought the turning point in game two was really the Golden Knights' fourth line. Keegan Colasar came in for Ryan Reeves. He plays a much more possession game. He's not quite as physical as Reeves, but he's better at moving the puck. He's been getting it back to those defensemen. And the Avalanche fourth line really struggled in game two. And we saw Alex Newhook and Sam Ranta both come out of the lineup after that bad game two and got a little more veteran leadership in there, and it still wasn't great for that bottom line for the Avs. So, so I think Bednar is still searching for an answer for, for that fourth line. If I was Pete DeBoer, the way the fourth line has played for Vegas the last two games, I wouldn't touch it. It's the Hockey Show with JJ and Ryan. We're talking to Jesse Granger of The Athletic. Jesse, um, looking at the top line, sticking with the line combinations, right? I mean, I think the biggest thing around Colorado yesterday was how the top line just got shut down again for the second game in a row. So what's Vegas's top line doing differently well, from game one or even earlier in the season that's suddenly causing fits? I, I know you, you mentioned the physicality on the zone entry, but what about a little bit more defensively? Yeah, well, it's it's been kind of a change in who's playing against them. In those first two games when Colorado had the last change, the Golden Knights mostly played their second line against that McKinnon line, which is the line of Carlson, Marshall, and Smith, and they're smaller, faster guys. To be honest, I see why Pete DeBoer kind of started the series with those guys against them because they, they have the more speed. <laughs> they don't have the speed of Nathan McKinnon, but they closer to his speed to try to hang with them, and that McKinnon line just eviscerated them. Since then, they've kind of switched to putting that top line of Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, and Chandler Stevenson on them. And they, instead of trying to skate with them, like we mentioned, they're using that physicality. And Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty are both skillful scorers, but also they're power forwards. They're bigger, stronger than, than most of those guys. I mean, McKinnon's a truck. But they, they can use their physicality to bump him, slow him down. And, and in the defensive zone, they're, they're just sticking on him the entire time. He has no time and space to work. And I think... The, the shift in, in mentality from trying to skate with that line rather than now we're not going to be able to skate with them. Let's just try to knock them off their rhythm. And, mm-hmm. and to be honest, the best thing that that line has done against the McKinnon line is they've had the puck the whole time. If you're defending against Nathan McKinnon for 10 minutes a game, you're going to give up goals. He's too good to, to defend well enough for that long. So I think the best thing they've done is simply not let him have the puck. Well, speaking of Mark Stone, he's the guy I was talking about earlier, and I was heaping praise on him on the show and on Twitter as a guy I just haven't had the opportunity to see a lot until he came to Vegas. And he does so many things right in his game, just little things, things with the puck, things with the sticks, things with his positioning. But how dangerous is he in this team if he starts scoring and putting the puck in the net? Yeah, you're right. Right now, the offensive game is just not clicking for him. It seems like every pass to him has been kind of in his skates. Things just aren't clicking as well offensively. He's still doing all those other little things right, and I think they'll take it with how, with how well defensively they've played against the McKinnon line. But, yeah, if he, if he starts getting going offensively, that's when this Golden Knights team is at its best. Uh, he, he had stretches this season where he was a point-per-game player, and when that happens, this team is tough to beat. We saw a handful of penalties go in the Avalanche's favor in games one and two. Then Pete DeBoer gets on the mic and kind of criticizes that. 
I wanted to know how, what's your feeling on that. How much of that was genuine complaining about the refereeing in those first two games? How much of that was kind of showmanship, almost WWE-esque Pete DeBoer stuff, just trying to, I guess, A, rile up his team, and B, we saw a lot less penalties in game three. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, Pete DeBoer is a savvy head coach, and we've seen coaches in all sports, uh, especially in like the NBA and the NHL, where it's a playoff series of seven games, complain about the officiating, hoping that it will influence officiating moving forward. I don't know if that was the case. Maybe the Golden Knights just... I mean, to be honest, I think the reason the Golden Knights committed less penalties in Game 2 is because they had the puck longer. When, when the Avs get those penalties just because they were swarming Vegas. And, like, especially in the first period of Game 2, they were just all over them. And when a team as fast as Colorado is all over you like that, you're going to commit penalties because they're flying by you. You have no choice but to grab them, hook them, trip them, do something. So I think the, the switch in less penalties has been simply a case of Vegas having the puck more. But I also think when he came out and criticized the, the, the officiating, I think that's also just him trying to galvanize his group. I'm sure he's probably hearing it from his players on the bench. They're complaining about the embellishing, the whatever they say Colorado's doing. So I think he thinks, if I get up there and say that in front of everyone on TV, my team will know that I've got their backs. I, I think it's a little bit of everything. And on that note, how much of the you know the current state of the competition, the shift in the series so far, how much do you put that on the coaching itself? I mean, it feels like more of a chess match than on the players. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, like you listened to Jared Bednar last night, and he was furious, and, and he thinks it's effort, and I and I kind of agree with him a little bit. I mean, you look at, I, I honestly think the Avalanche are so incredibly talented, and things went. So came so easily for them for those first six playoff games, I guess five and a half playoff games, that I think that maybe that top line maybe thought things were going to be a little easier than they actually are. And, and you saw Vegas push back. And I think now, after Bednar challenged his top guys to match the effort level and the intensity of the Golden Knights' top players, I think it's going to result in an awesome game four. I mean, if it can be any better than these last two games. Um, I, I really do think that when, when you say coaching, I think – the effort level and the intensity um, has got to come up a level for Colorado because I think they got a little a little too comfortable cruising past the Blues and then smoking the Golden Knights the way they did in Game 1. Mm-hmm. Jesse, when we talked to you earlier this season, there was a bit of a, a goaltender controversy going on with Robin Lehner getting the starts and, and Fleury kind of being the true number one but not necessarily shining. And now we're getting to see a, a real Vesna v. Vesna battle in the net. Um, but I'm curious your thoughts on how Fleury looked. I thought he was a little uh, maybe over-aggressive in Game 3. And what's going on with Robin Leonard? Yeah, we don't know what's going on with Robin Leonard. He hasn't skated or touched the ice since that Game 1. I would guess that he's probably got something, a, a small tweak, maybe a lower body something. It wouldn't surprise me if he if he tweaked a muscle because the guy hadn't played a game in a month and then he goes out there and it's an absolute shooting gallery. I think Colorado fired everything they had at him. So um, I'm guessing he's probably got something going on, but he, they, they haven't given us much of an update. In terms of Flurry. I think, yeah, he maybe was a little over-aggressive in Game 3, but to be honest, that's just his style. He's going to do that. Um, you're going to have to live with that. Sometimes he gives up goals because he's a little further out of his crease than he should be, but at the same time, he'll, he'll bail you out on a co- with a couple spectacular saves for that same reason, that same aggression. So, um, I mean, he's, he's sharp. I think he's... I think he and Robin Leonard are both really good goalies, but in my opinion, 
Flurry's style is a better matchup for this fast Colorado team that gets the goalie moving horizontally better than anyone in the league. I mean, Colorado, they just complete so many of those seam passes through the heart of the defense that forces your goalie to launch from one side of the crease to the other, and that's kind of Flurry's specialty. He, he's not going to stop them all, but I think he's going to get a piece of more of those than most goalies will. So um, we're seeing... He, he, this is what he's got to do. I think he still has another gear to, to hit in this series. He hasn't been at his best, but he's been very good, and he's going to have to be good for, for Vegas to, to hang with Colorado in this series. Last one for me, Jesse, again, sticking with the goaltending here. I think we're seeing both of these goalies, uh, I guess, you know, we're, throw, we're seeing them throw a lot of hacks, right? They're slashing the opponents in the legs, both sides, both yep. Grubauer and Flurry. And what's most amazing to me is it's not throwing them off of their games, right? Typically, you'd say, hey, Focus up on what you're doing. Don't let that bother you. But I guess what are your thoughts on just that little bit of extra aggression you're seeing from both goaltenders every game? Yeah, that's two veteran guys protecting their crease. They want these players to know you come in here, you try to whack at the glove, try and get a a late rebound or something, I'm going (laughs) to give you something back. I I love it. Um, And I think if if it was a younger goal, like to be honest, I've seen uh, Nedeljkovic in Carolina. I watched that series from afar, and he is the most aggressive goalie I've ever seen in terms of clearing out his crease. He's He's hitting guys in the back of the head while the play is going on. He's and 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 I like that, but at the same time, a young goalie like him, I think you can get overzealous with that, and you can put yourself out of position. Whereas two goalies like Philip Grubauer and Mark Andre Fleury, these guys have been around for so long. They've been in so many playoff battles. They know what they're doing. Um, I love seeing the goalies with a little more aggression like that. And and like I said, with these two, you can trust that it's not going to get them off their game. Great stuff, Jesse. Thanks so much as always for hanging out with us, and uh, let's enjoy the rest of the series here, huh? Yeah, thanks for having me. It should be great. Absolutely. Take care, Jesse. There you have it, Jesse Granger of The Athletic. Funny to me how we end on that goalie conversation because my first thought, too, is how we saw Marc-Andre Fleury take a whack at Tyson Joe's helmet just loose there. My thing is everybody loved it when he did it last night, right? If that were Jordan Bennington slapping at somebody's helmet, how do you think the public receives it? Oh, man. It, I mean, it, it's all game circumstances, right? But like NBC pointed out uh he he went up to the helmet and the crowd just went nuts. So he's like, "Ah, eh, showmanship! <laughs> Are you not entertained?" Let's go. Well, that'll do it here for the main advantage on the hockey show. We'll be right back for the mixed bag state mixed bag skate to break down any and everything we want in the hockey world. So stick around through the break. JJ Jerez, Ryan Bolding, Danny Bailey behind the glass. Brb. Hey,